investors calling for inflation are starting to sound a little bit like the boy who cried wolf. But is inflation just around the corner after all? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. This is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of January 25th, 2021. And today we're going to talk about inflation and interest rates. Inflation? Interest rates? I thought that investors had closed the book on those. Lower for longer, remember? More like low forever now. Well, that is the $7.3 trillion question. <laughs> Why $7.3 trillion? Well, it's the size of the Fed's balance sheet. I figured it was as good a number as any. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, it's also very relevant to the threat of inflation. A lot of investors hear about the growing Federal Reserve balance sheet and huge government deficits and think, hey, inflation's got to be just around the corner. Meanwhile, another group of investors, including economists and investors and the Fed, have been calling for higher inflation for the last 10 plus years, to no avail. Yeah, I truly can't think of a more polarizing financial topic these days. Maybe value versus growth, but jury's out. Well, let's start with real life inflation because I want to be clear first about the type of inflation that we're talking about. We don't expect the prices that you and I pay in everyday life to feel a ton different uh, due to inflation over the coming years. Oh, and uh, shout out here to one of our listeners, Lisa from Fort Worth, Texas, who raised this very question this week. Yeah, well, thank you, Lisa. And just to be clear, we might see higher prices for some things from time to time. Higher gas prices as economic activity picks up, for example, or higher restaurant prices as travel and togetherness return to our lives. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for that. But there were also some other areas where prices are depressed, such as rents, which make up about a third of the consumer prices. Exactly. So on the whole, we're not worried about inflation this year, or at least the kind that the Fed is going to react to. But that doesn't mean that markets will be quite so calm about any inflationary pressures that they see. In fact, I think that an inflation scare is probably the most likely market risk this year. Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable to me. So why are so many investors worried about inflation, LG? And don't even get me started on interest rates. We've been talking about lower for longer rates for years now. Well, to answer that question, we actually should start with the market rotation idea that you covered last week. Ah, our regular listeners who tuned in last week will remember that a rotation where economic growth improves and more companies enjoy better profitability and sales growth. Um, well, this typically means that a bigger group of companies show improving market returns. In other words, a rising economic tide tends to raise all ships. Better economic growth, better company performance, a better environment for consumers. 
that means things start to chug back to life. And as a part of this process, demand ticks higher too. Companies tend to raise prices in that type of environment so that they can pay workers more and improve profitability. And there you have it, inflation. Exactly, inflation. But everything we just said is good, right? Why is inflation then one of the biggest risks this year for investors? Well, as I mentioned, this isn't about real world prices necessarily, at least where the market risk is concerned. And it's not about wheelbarrows full of money in the streets. The central reason that investors watch inflation is because of its influence on the U.S. Federal Reserve. The Fed's provided swift and sizable support for the economy and capital markets over the course of 2020 and now into 2021, and investors are understandably concerned about what would happen if that liquidity support fades. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes less support, and the markets have gotten pretty accustomed to that support in 2020. So what would we expect the reaction would be? Is it like a taper tantrum type scenario? Yes. So in 2013, when the Fed announced that it was going to one day maybe slightly pull back on policy support after the financial crisis, financial markets freaked out a bit. That contributed to a stronger U.S. dollar, lower energy prices, and a manufacturing recession, the taper tantrum that that you're talking about, Robert. Yeah. Well, you're the Fed geek here, so... I don't want to step in too far, but I imagine that the Fed will really want to avoid that type of outcome this time around and is already thinking about how to communicate their way out of this. Um, It all feels a little bit early still, right? Yes, we could see moments of higher inflation this year, but that's in large part, like we discussed, due to technical factors like low prices from last year, base effects, and supply chain constraints um, like shipping. So the inflation that the Fed's worried about still seems to be elusive. Uh, And if the economy is still shedding 1 million jobs about in a week, as we saw in last week's unemployment claims data, should the markets really be concerned about closing that gap in an overheating economy? As crazy as it sounds... Yeah, it's a it's a credible threat in 2021. It's not a likely threat, but it's credible. If everything goes right, vaccine distribution accelerates, fiscal support proves sufficient or even overkill, and the economy churns back to life, then inflation could move durably higher. And if that's the case, the Fed would start to reconsider its mix of policy support. But the bar for Fed's response is is frankly very high. Inflation would not only need to rise, but it also need to reach and move past the Fed's 2% target. And the Fed would have to be confident that those inflationary pressures would last. In addition, the labor market would have to move back towards maximum employment. And so even with the strong economic tailwinds we expect for 2021, this would be a lot of progress to expect in just one year. That's a great point that you mentioned that the Fed's probably more focused on the labor market. And so it sounds like based on that response, given that the labor market still has to heal, this is probably more of a 2022 risk then. Correct. But look, investors are already asking these questions, which means the market is likely to show signs of jitters even before the Fed makes any sort of hints of change. So investors should expect rates and even equity market volatility this year in moments of higher than expected inflation and a steepening curve. Mm. Okay. Given the sheer size and scale of policy support then, it's not just the Fed, but also the incoming fiscal support 
So market drawbacks would, in this scenario, be likely short-lived. The name of the game here is to find assets that are attractively valued, serving as both an inflation head, but they could also hold up well if expectations for growth aren't met. It's now time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the podcast where we discuss an investment idea. And whenever inflation enters the picture, the biggest market implication is for interest rates. Higher inflation, higher rates. And so for today's portfolio pause, we wanted to go straight to the source on all things investment and interest rates. So we invited a New York Life Investments colleague and fixed income expert, Adam Schreier. Adam, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I always thought you both do a really good job with this podcast, so I'm happy to be on it. Well, you just heard that we're more or less in the consensus camp on interest rates this year. We may see moments of higher inflation and a steeper curve, but they're likely to be brief. And we don't expect U.S. Treasury rates to move substantially higher over the course of 2021. And so looking ahead, our portfolios are positioned neutral in duration. What do you think about that? What's your perspective? Well, market performance is all about expectations. So even if there aren't many curves steepening moments this year, it raises questions for asset allocation. Investors will be reconsidering their bond portfolios in 2021, and they'll consider that credit spreads are not far off from post-financial crisis tights. Yields are near historic lows. I don't say this to scare anyone. In fact, credit metrics are improving, and defaults are expected to be normal this year. I say this more because of the other risk, interest rate risk. Given lower yields and tighter spreads, I believe many parts of fixed income are more exposed to rate moves. We've already seen it this year. The 10-year increased by less than 20 basis points this year, and the ag was down by more than 1% two weeks ago. It's since recovered a little bit, but as of Friday, it's still down 75 basis points. Wow. So how do you think about that for investment strategy? What's the, the big picture for your clients? Well, part of my role is to look at model portfolios of financial advisors and make recommendations to see if any of our products make sense for the advisor and their clients. Often, when I look at a portfolio, I'll see multiple fixed income funds in a portfolio that are all from the same category. So they have similar asset allocations and risk factors. So you might have three or four funds that all have a duration of six years. There's an opportunity there to shorten duration but do it in a manner that introduces less correlated asset classes, like floating rate loans or short duration high yield. This can reduce interest rate risk, but also the overall risk of the portfolio due to diversification. That's interesting. So then what's your favorite trade or or change idea in this environment? Typically, when inflation is rising, investors can consider cyclical assets. You you mentioned bank loans, short duration, high yield. Inflation-leaked bonds are another option, offering a direct inflation hedge, but also benefiting if real rates fall. What do you like? What do you think? So those are all good ideas. My favorite idea since the last quarter of 2020 has been bank loans, also known as leverage loans, floating rate loans. And the idea, I've been calling it defending against duration. It's been a little bit of an unconventional idea. Typically, floating rate loans are in favor when the Fed is hiking rates because their coupons increase with those Fed hikes. And you see it in the flow data. The flows into the asset class are very cyclical and they coincide with the Fed. So this idea about defending against duration is that it's just as important to play defense when longer term rates are rising as it is to play offense when the Fed is hiking rates. 
So as we discussed, longer duration assets, which performed very well in 2019 and 2020, they're really susceptible to small increases in longer term rates now. So by carving out a piece of a bond allocation and putting it into floating rate loans, your portfolio would be less impacted by those small 10-year increases. Um, and at the same time, you might even earn a little bit of a higher yield. That's so interesting. That's the that's the money perspective exactly I was hoping that you'd bring to the podcast today, Adam. So thank you. But admittedly, um, it, you know, from our perspective and from yours, we're we're dealing with a highly uncertain environment, both in terms of rates and inflation itself, but also the timing upon which any change could happen. So any thoughts on how investors can manage that uncertainty and that risk? Yeah. So we're in a very low rate environment. It's funny. I think we've been saying this for years. We're in a low rate environment, but now we're in a very low rate environment. And dialing up risk for modest increases in yield or total return potential might not be advisable. There are some environments when adding risk can lead to significant increases in returns, but I don't think that this is one of them. When you look at the spread between single B-rated bonds and triple C-rated bonds, which is the incremental yield you earn from moving to the lowest quality segment of, of high yield, it was 272 basis points at year end. So that means you're earning 2.7% more from dipping down to the lowest part of the high yield market. The 20-year average is over 600 basis points, or 6%. This means that you're simply not getting paid much to step down in risk. With fixed income and really any asset class, it's important not just to look at returns in isolation, but look at the risk required to generate those returns. That's so, so interesting and so true. Um, in, in future episodes of the podcast, we'll be talking about different ways to think about generating income in an environment like this. But for now, Adam, this has been so informative. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective and for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for the conversation. It was great talking to you guys. Coming up next and just in time, it's Fed Week. And as we discussed today, all eyes are on the Fed and its support of the economy in the coming months. But remember, for now, we're still in an economic crisis. The labor market is still shedding jobs, and it'll be a while before the Fed meetings get really exciting, even if I always think they're exciting. <laughs> yes, uh, I'll be watching earnings season. Uh, so far, we've heard from only a handful of companies but the results have been pretty positive. They've outperformed expectations. Um, banks, which have been mostly reporting last week, um, are guiding expectations higher for the year as they're telling investors that they won't need to use as many of those loan loss provisions that they had put on their books at the start of the crisis. And that's thanks to all this support we've been talking about. Um, looking ahead, I think it's reasonable to expect that the growth rate on corporate profits will help recover to a more sustainable level for the markets. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at our new website at newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking on the Insights tab. Until then... I'm Robert Serenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. 
I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.